Education is the key to success. Go to school, get a job, and live a good life. That is the African dream. And Jay, is it just me or someone light to the masses? People are on these streets carrying their entire alphabet of degrees, and yet they are living hand to mouth. No one is questioning what are we learning? Why are we learning it? What is education? And what is success? Let's not forget, there's also a growing number of people with special and varying needs who do not even have access to basic education. I have to ask, is education in Africa broken? My name is Tebo Hakangota III. Join me every week as I sit down with experts, educators, parents, and students to talk about the state of education on the African continent. It's a lot. Welcome to the Educated Africana. Africana. My name is Tebo Hokangote and today I have the awesome Andrea, Miss Andrea. Um, welcome Miss Andrea. You know it's so weird for me to call um, adults by their first names so please excuse me. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much and I'm, I'm happy to be here as well and just call me Andrea. That's fine. <laughs> Okay, permission granted. Thank you so much. Now, as we start, our podcast name is The Educated Africana. If you'd like to share with me, what comes to mind when you hear The Educated Africana? Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is um, when I hear the word educated Africana is really how far behind we are in terms of being that educated Africana and how much more we need to do in terms of really getting all our Africans on board in terms of realizing how important education is. And, and, and I would kind of really be looking at the children, our African children today. And um, we've got a long way in terms of getting that right. So yeah, that, that's what comes to my mind when I hear those two words. Yeah, I, I think I concur with what you say, how far behind we are and where exactly we need to go. So just jumping in on our topic, inclusive education. Now to our regular everyday person who doesn't know what inclusive education is all about, who may not have English as their um, home language or first language, how would you explain it in the simplest form, what is inclusive education? Inclusive education is education for all. So irrespective of who you are or who you are not or what you have or what you don't have, um, it is my belief that everybody has a right to quality education and really my expertise in early years and primary education and, and looking at who we are in terms of where we are in place and time in Africa, um, there is a big gap and, and an injustice, so to speak, in terms of 
the inclusiveness of all our children um, having access to the quality education. Um, and I work with um, children who are admitted in hospital and that's a minority that are totally excluded from education, right? So you're looking at our handicapped children. Uh, you're looking at um, children with um, albionism, if I said it correctly. I mean, those quite often are excluded from having that opportunity to develop their talents and skills and, and be educated. So inclusiveness is all that. Yeah, I like that you mentioned, um, you know, what I could call maybe demographics that are usually not brought to light. And most times when people think inclusive education, they, they go first to physical um, abilities or disabilities thereof. And there's, there's so much more. And just um, to just broaden it up a bit more. You are a teacher and I know you teach at, at, at an international school and the services provided regarding inclusive education in that, um, <clears throat> in that uh, scene or in that kind of school may be more than what um, the everyday school, the everyday government school can offer. And if I am a teacher from um, you know, a government institution, and I have the willingness, I have the, 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 the drive to start this inclusive education in, in what I have in, in, in school, because many times you find that all children in, in um, locations or villages or townships are placed in the same schools, there isn't really a separation. Now, as a teacher who finds herself or himself in a class like that, also considering the numbers, um, what advice do you have? Where do they start? What do they do? Who do they consult? Like, what is the first step? I know you might have some ideas there. I know you started some things. Well, the first step for me would be um, our Zambian, well, not just Zambian, African governments uh, prioritizing education um, at the top of their agenda in terms of uh, radicalizing um, our curriculum in the sense that um, make it more relevant and meaningful to our learners, right? That's number one. Learners learn best by making connections, those personal connections. Um, and, and that kind of opens up their light bulbs and opens up opportunities to go start within and then go community-wise locally and then regionally and globally. Um, in, in a government school, I would say we need to bring in professional development for, for, to our teachers. Um, our teachers graduate, um, take for instance, an example where a teacher graduated 10 years ago, right? Um, you've got your diploma or degree or certificate and you know, bang, you're put into a school, um, but you have not had any ongoing professional development. So we're stuck in this rut, right? Where you come out with your papers, lots of theory, very little practice. The practice that you'll get is when you're in the classroom in a school setting. However, I mean, education has rapidly changed over time. And our learners have changed as well. 
Um, when you look at the each generation, each generation is so different. I mean, you know, when I compare myself um, as a learner in, in, in um, grade seven or eight or nine, and I look at them now, it's, it's totally different. Technology has also come in and, and, and taken over a lot of things that we used to do before in the past, right? Uh, we use technology for research. We use, you know, technology for, for, for collaboration across the world. So you're opening up tons of opportunities. So our teachers need to be equipped with the relevant skills and knowledge and understandings to be able to deliver effectively. Secondly, when you talk about inclusiveness in education, um, our educators themselves need to re-examine and reflect on their beliefs and practices of how teaching and learning happens. You cannot have one textbook and use one textbook. You're turning the pages every day, but you're losing like a quarter of your class every day um, because of lack of understanding, right? So how do you differentiate the learning and teaching in your own classroom? So maybe starting from there, right? Working in clusters of small little groups, encouraging peers to, to self-reflect and self-assess, right? And support others. Um, we don't need to have desks in rows like a military camp zone, you know? Think about forming groups where students can actually collaborate and talk to each other, um, question each other, wonder and think, right? Um, shared their ideas and knowledge. So, and that's why, you know, I did say we've got a long way to go. We do have a long way to go. I like that you spoke about, um, you know, school setting in the sense of classroom settings and um, the physicality of it, like just looking in the, in, looking at the environment of how, oh, the environment in which students learn also can reflect whether like the education that happens, is it inclusive or not? When I went to school in, in, in South Africa and I, I went to a school in a village on top of a mountain, I love telling the story. Um, <laughs> you know, we were set in, in roles to begin with, you know, and it was a lot of road, uh, root learning, like re repeating and, you know, you had to memorize a lot of things. And as we went up, you know, you kind of disengage, you remove yourself from the education because it becomes somewhat of a torture, especially as a student, that you have to memorize these things and there will be a test that you have to write down and you have to remember as taught. And, um, you know, looking at programs like PYP that have opened up you know, the thinking and allowing, you know, to have different perspectives. Um, what, how can I put this? Where are we in Zambia? When you look, I know you said we are far. Are we making any sort of ground? Because when I left South Africa, my education, they had started doing OBE, which was something like what's happening with PYP, opening up the discussions, learning together, collaborative learning. But when we look into Zambia, I haven't had enough opportunities to look into the government um, sector, especially when it comes to education, been to government schools. 
But just from hearing from parents that I know take their children to school, it's a bit iffy. Where are we? Are we making grounds? Is there hope? I know you have a foundation. Also, if you can just add as to like how that also helps with that. Look, I mean, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, revamping our educational system and, and, and looking at our curriculum and stuff like that. But we need to stop talking and we need to see action, right? I mean, it's about time. You know, for how long are we going to be talking? And we've got enough qualified, experienced, knowledgeable educators, um, leaders that would be able to carry that mantle forward, right? Um, you need to have a, <clears throat> a group of experts with a common vision and a common moral purpose, uh, with a drive to really looking at how can we provide quality education to all the Zambian children. Um, you talked about rote learning. Take, for example, our nursery schools. They're everywhere. You know, every road you drive in, you find a nursery school. Um, so my question was, and even when I came here in 2015, I came back to Zambia in 2015, my question was, how do they inspect these nurseries? And how often do they inspect these nurseries for quality, for safety, for, for hygiene? And also in terms of um, the program, right? The delivery, the teaching and the learning. I mean, you know, there's been so much research that has been done in terms of how young learners learn best. And we all know young learners learn best through play. So why are we subjecting our little ones, these little people, um, to sitting down again, row, desk, you know, in a chair, holding a pencil, tracing letters or numbers from a blackboard, right? Or a book that's totally irrelevant to them. They don't even know why they're doing that, right? Um, why not let them immerse themselves in exploration? You know, you talked about the, the PYP, primary years program. I mean, that's one way of one approach that um, schools could use. I mean, there's the Reggio Emilia program as well, which is play-based. So using play-based learning to, to provide opportunities for students to develop the skills and the understandings they can play with blocks and you can bring in um, uh, math concepts and skills. So you're talking about counting the blocks, the colors, the shapes, but they're touching them and feeling them. They can construct things. So you're going into the scientific processes, right? And, and stuff like that. So providing those kinds of opportunities for young learners to work in a collaborative setting because they learn they learn from each other by listening to each other. You know, they're natural born inquirers. The minute they come into school, we block that creativity. We block that inquiry. We get frustrated because they're asking too many questions, you know, but that's what learning is all about. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I'll always remember this, you know, like I've been in international circles as well. And, um, in one of the schools I was in, in, in Mombasa, um, I walked into this art classroom and, and the students hadn't yet come in and the teacher was drawing this tree on the, on the board, right? And I'm like, oh, so what are you doing? Oh, I'm, do I'm drawing a tree. 
So I'm like, okay, why? Um, because you know, this, they're learning about nature and um, they're learning about nature and, and um, habitats. So, you know, I thought I'd draw a tree and then the, the, the students could, can draw a tree, right? And I'm like, um, okay, hang on a minute. But the, 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 the children know what a tree looks like. Take them outside, go into the garden, let them look at the tree, let them smell the trees, let them look at the leaves, let them touch the bark and whatever. Then bring them in and let them draw a tree. Because the minute you put your tree up there, everybody will try and copy your tree because they'll think that, well, that's what he or she wants us to do, that's a tree. You know, so I told him, could you please erase it off the board? And he did. Four months later, he came and said to me, oh, Andrea, now I get it, you know, because the kids are so creative. I mean, you know, come and look at some of their artwork and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, let's not block their creativity and impose our thinking and doing on them, right? You walk into a nursery school and, you know, on the board, you find these perfect um, cutouts or photocopies of cats, right? And they're all painted black and white or brown. But Andrea wants to pink paint a pink one and the teacher tells her, no, there's no pink cats. Well, but there are pink cats in my world, right? So that's what we're lacking in our schools. And we need our students to have a voice. They need to have a voice and a choice and they need to take ownership and responsibility for their learning. Spoken like a true advocate. I, I, I totally get it. I totally believe you. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. Me, I get it. If anyone was listening and they're not catching on, I don't know what you want because we've got gems here. We've got the real deal from Miss Andrea. I don't know, guys. So what I've picked up is that when I came into uh, an international school, PYP was very new for, for me. And again, thinking in the way that you're speaking about just inclusiveness and allowing the children to see and um, experience uh, the world around them in their own eyes, through their own eyes, mm -hmm. allowing mm -hmm. their perspectives, uh, their angles, you know, and being able to um, interpret that for them so that they understand, mm -hmm. oh, I was you know, using some critical thinking when I did this and it didn't work out. And I thought, oh, let me try that again. Now, I just want to take it back a bit because me and you are speaking from people who are doing this every day, who are in such environments. I just want to bring it back to their masses. Most educators who are now in um, uh, university studying, um go into the professional world, to go into the classrooms, um, are not necessarily being trained this way, to think this way. You know, their education, given the age, was that one we were talking about. And in university is a lot of, you know, cramming, remembering like philosophers and pedagogy by whoever, whoever. And, then they come fresh from school like that. How do we make it realistic for them? I like the example you gave for, for, for the art teacher, you know, that's how a lot of people come in. You know, I'm gonna write words and I'm gonna write on the board and the children must copy it down and they've learned. 
and that's not really learning. When you say play-based learning, what do you mean? How do I assess it? How do I see progress? How do I record it? As a teacher who knows writing tests and marking, then I know my child understood the concept I was teaching. So, you know how, I was just thinking of something. You know how we always had paper and pen tests, right? And, um, and then you have three quarters of the class not being able to, well, they fail, right? Basically, because the only opportunity we're providing them is a paper and a pen exam, you know, and a paper and a pen exam for everything, right? Um, what about those people that are not really good in writing, but if you ask them to present their knowledge and understanding of a skill or concept orally or through art or music, right, poetry, and they'd be able to hit all the goals and the targets, right? That shows that they got it, right? But we are not providing those differentiated assessments as well. So we're stuck in this rut and belief of pen and paper will, will tell us everything about a learner, which is not right, right? And those are some of the beliefs and practices that we should stop. And, and really focusing on looking at each and every individual child and how best can we as educators, as schools, as, as administrators, as government official ministries, you know, who have that power and have the power to make decisions, make the right decision for a change, right? Um, how, how can we bring that on board? And then it goes back to, to when I was talking about professional development of teachers, right? Professional development of teachers should be ongoing, you know? And I remember about six months ago, I had a discussion with a lecturer from the University of Zambia. And as we were talking and, and you know, it's like, oh, you know, like, I, I guess he probably thought, okay, you know, this lady is very knowledgeable about education. And then I said, do you know what needs to happen? Right there at university, you need to go and review your whole curriculum content that you, that you have in place right now. Because you are the ones that are producing and, and graduating these educators, and, but you're not equipping them and preparing them for the 21st century learner. We are still in the 18th century. So it needs to start in our learning, higher learning institutions, right? And, you know, including the lecturers. Are the lecturers on par? Are they able to deliver? You know, so, I mean, those are the things that we should be looking at. Um, uh, if you can get effective teachers, effective leadership in schools, right? Who also have that common moral purpose of, yes, I want to make a change and we're gonna do it together. So bring your school community on board. Miracles can happen. That is, that is so true. It's so important to have the right, the right type of person leading a team because it can go sideways, you know? Um, it's yeah. so funny that you, you bring that up. We're just talking about leadership at work and 
um, the one thing they, that came up was that have leaders that um, they that value relationships so much so that they can invest in them as if it's 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 their own benefit you know someone that's going to invest in like what you're saying professional development for teachers that is continuous as if they are the ones who are getting the knowledge getting the certificate or getting what like anyway everything you're saying and there is just i'm like yes my head is about to fall off um (laughs) dear government people if you are listening this is the time to take reconsider what education is being taught especially from the root and right now what we can point point is our universities what is being taught in our universities and there's a new generation i just want to bring you to this there's a new generation called the gen z everybody is scared of the gen z because the generation z people or young adults are adults that were taught the way that we are talking, who are aware of the, um, you know, how we teach a learner in their entirety, the whole learner, not just academics, just everything, their mental state, you know, their health, their physical health, everything. And there's been a struggle in the professional world because Gen Z can take day off and say, my mental health. And there's no law that says you can't take off because you're met. It actually supports you to say you are not healthy. You feel yourself. You are not, you're not, you're not feeling up to work or you're feeling depressed or whatever. Or a doctor has also proven that, you know, you need this time off. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? Because we are producing such people, I believe, especially in our schools. You know, with COVID, right? The whole world changed in an instant. It's affected everybody. Let me focus on the schools. We were not ready or prepared at all. Um, and that just shows the lack of modernization, modern, modernization, you know what I mean? <laughs> in terms of uh, IT, right? I mean, schools that had, uh, good systems in place where there was internet connect- connectivity, where uh, students had iPads or laptops and there was computers uh, managed to carry on with the learning. Um, although it, it wasn't real, right? But it had to happen and it happened, right? For nearly two years. But there were so many areas around Zambia where there was a total disruption to to ongoing education, ongoing learning. Um, And that is why I say, I'll go back to, we need to prioritize what is important. What do we want to be investing our money in? Um, And education should be one of them, right? Um, We do need to be mindful of our own self. If we are not healthy, if we are not um, mentally strong, in our minds, in our bodies, in, and in our souls, it is going to affect everything else we do, right? However, let me take you back to, we can't keep on having mental health breaks, you know, once or twice a month. Okay. So they also need to be mindful of that and not take advantage of that fact, right? However, 
I'm going to connect that now to leadership because you talked about leadership that is, and I'm going to bring in the word inclusive. We need a leadership that is inclusive. We need a leader who is a change maker, but brings everybody on board. And how do you do that? You need to be a good listener. Leaders tend to like to hear their own voices. Stop, stop. That's a no-no, right? You need to be a good listener. You need to be empathetic. You need to be a leader that's going to build sustainable relationships. You need a leader that's going to bring the, his or her community into that collaborative, reflective space where everybody has a voice, where people feel that they're being respected, where people feel that they're being heard, where people feel that they're being part of the decision-making process. Quite often, sadly, in our schools, we have heads of schools that tend to sit in their offices and act like there's some chiefs or, or, or presidents. They need to get off their backside and walk around the school and go into the classrooms, read stories to the little ones, participate in experiments. They should go and teach. How are you going to know what's going on in your organization if you're sitting in an air-conditioned office? or not, whether it's air conditioned or not, right? A leader needs to walk the talk and not just talk. So that there's that whole shift in terms of 21st century leadership skills, you know, and empowering those around you so that, you know, don't see yourself in that position for 50 years, but empower those around you so that they can also take up the mantle. That's what a good leader does, right? Um, I've worked in Southeast Asia, um, the whole of East Africa, really. And um, wherever I went, I ensured that by the time I left, I had empowered enough local teachers to be able to take on some of these middle leadership positions or senior leadership positions. And I feel it is a right and duty of each one of us in a leadership position to empower those around us so that they too can live their dreams and go for their goals. That is so yo, impactful. As you were saying that, I just had a, a visual um, what memory of a picture of a chief who, who planted a tree and now it's shown and this tree is just grown and it makes such a big, um, it makes such a huge shade. There's a village meeting happening under the tree and what's written under is, you know, great leaders know that they will not sit, they are not the ones that are gonna sit under the, 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 the shade of that tree, but understand that they have to plant it. So that just, that just came to mind when you were talking about inclusive leadership as well. Miss Andrea, Andrea, our time has come to a halt. Can you imagine? <laughs> I was just getting started. <laughs> we were just getting started. But you know what? I feel like, and I know whoever's going to get the opportunity to listen to this and listen to it thoroughly, there's some proper gems in here. There's some um, doable things that can be taken from here. But I will let you 
just give your final, you know, where to from here, especially to our everyday teacher who I know want to do something. They are faced with children who are, you know, needing that attention and they want to give it, but maybe they're not being supported by, you know, our, our, our government, the curriculum, whatever that they may be using, the leadership in their schools. Just last kumbaya. <laughs> You know, life is all about taking risks. Um, if you're passionate about what you do, if you're passionate about teaching, if you're passionate about your students, if you wanna see your students succeed, give it your all, all the time. There are so many free online courses that teachers can access. Coursera for one has many um, uh, courses focusing on 21st century teaching and learning best practices. Find somebody else that you can also talk to and collaborate with. Visit each other's classrooms and reflect on your teaching and learning. Having those reflective discussions also helps you build up a better understanding of who your students are, right? And, 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 and try and use different strategies, different ways of teaching as opposed to a textbook. You know, like let them pick stones and count stones and 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 allow your students to have a voice. I know sometimes as teachers, we, we walk into a classroom and we, we consider ourselves as know it all, but we don't know it all. You know, I believe learning never stops. And you can learn so much from your students if you only listen to them and give them that opportunity to speak out, knowing that they too have um, a pers perspective, they too have experiences, they too have questions and wonderings. So forming a collaborative learning space right in your classroom is a first start in the beginning. And I wish that everybody would be a risk taker and take that opportunity and that chance to do so. And just like that, there we have it, inclusive education, my dear educated Africana, I am so grateful to you, Ms. Andrea, for taking the time to be with us and share such, you know, impactful knowledge, doable strategies that anyone who was listening can go about and learn from them and try them out. I am challenging you on recording before we go that we should do inclusive education 2.0 for parents and just tackle that as to what does it mean for parents to, to also be involved in this inclusiveness? What is their role? You know, the learning community doesn't just include the teacher and the student, also management, the parents, everybody that is around is a resource. So I'm challenging you and everybody, you are my witnesses. Miss Andrea is nodding her head. So I take that as a yes. <laughs> Thank you so much yeah, for, for taking. Sure, for sure. Thank, thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks. Lovely All talking right. to you. Be part of the solution. Talking is not enough. We need action. So I am challenging you today. What are you going to do about what you just heard? Tell us all about it on social media. Tag at Africana Women or hashtag Educated Africana. The Educated Africana is part of the Africana Women Podcast Network. Subscribe, review, and share this episode 
to help us keep the conversation going. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at Africana Woman or hashtag educated Africana. Catch you next week.